0: of the Des Moines Register for Friday, May 8th, 2020. I'm your reader, Dennis May. Things are changing very quickly, and IRIS wants to make sure we provide our listeners with as much information as we can. In order to do that, we've changed our program schedule completely. This schedule will air statewide on all platforms until further notice. We will also include information about resources in your community during each paper. You'll still hear your Des Moines Register each day at 9 a.m., 6 p.m. and 1 a.m. Please listen closely to the following changes for all other newspapers. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. The Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. until noon. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at 1 p.m. seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read at 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Council Plus Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m. seven days a week. The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. The Midweek Shopping Cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Recordings of all newspapers will be available on our podcast page. Just go to iowaradioreading.org, click Listen Now, then click Listen to Iris Podcasts. The papers are organized by region each paper will be available for seven days as things continue to change we will announce schedule changes each hour at 56 minutes past the hour going forward keep yourself safe and thank you for listening and now let's take a look at today's weather it will be sunny to partly cloudy breezy and cooler today clear tonight freezing temperatures in the normally colder spots increasing cloudiness tomorrow sunday mostly cloudy monday mostly sunny the forecast for Des Moines for today is a high of 55 with a low of 34, breezy and colder with sunshine. Clear with near record cold tonight. On Saturday a high of 63 and a low of 42 with increasing cloudiness. And again on Sunday mostly cloudy and cooler with a high of 54, a low of 36. Across the area today, sunny to partly cloudy, breezy and cooler. Winds north 12 to 25 miles per hour. And on Saturday, increasing cloudiness, winds west-southwest 6 to 12 miles per hour. Our sunrise today was at 6.03 a.m. and will set at 8.20 p.m., moonrise at 10 o'clock p.m. and set at 7.04 a m and now let's take a look at the first story in today's des moines register the first story from above the fold on the front page is suspected serial killer arrested in iowa police investigate links to deaths of three women an iowa man suspected of murdering three women in the early 1990s was arrested wednesday at his waterloo home after investigators linked his dna with semen and other materials recovered from the victims clark perry baldwin age 58 is charged with two counts of murder in the 1991 Tennessee killing of 32-year-old Pamela Rose McCall and her unborn fetus. He's also charged in the deaths of two women whose bodies were found in 1992, roughly 400 miles apart, in Wyoming. The women, who were never identified, are referred to as, quote, Bitter Creek Betty and, quote, I-90 Jane Doe. Federal authorities using porcenic genealogy the practice of using genetic information in online databases, and looked at similar cases, which eventually led them to Baldwin, said Brent Cooper, Attorney General of the 22nd Judicial District in Tennessee. Last month in Waterloo, the FBI secretly collected DNA from Baldwin's trash and a shopping cart it used at Walmart. Testing revealed that the DNA profiles from the samples matched the samples from the suspect in the Tennessee and Wyoming cases. Baldwin graduated from Nashua Plainville High School in 1979 and worked as an over-the-road trucker for most of his career, living in Nashua and Waterloo, Springfield, Missouri, and Newport News, Virginia. In 1991, he was charged with raping a 21-year-old hitchhiker at gunpoint in Wheeler County, Texas. The woman told police that Baldwin struck her on the head, bound her hands and mouth, and tried to choke her to death. He allegedly admitted to the assault, but was released pending grand jury proceedings. The charges were dismissed after the state was unable to locate the victim, court documents show. In 1997, Secret Service agents raided Baldwin's apartment in Springfield after learning he was allegedly making counterfeit U.S. currency on a personal computer, according to the Associated Press. He and two female associates were indicted on counterfeiting charges. Baldwin was sentenced to twelve months in prison and released in 1999. On Thursday, a neighbor of Baldwin's, at Waterloo's Historic Hotel Russell Lamson, said he was quiet and kept to himself. He doesn't say hi, said Jarius Jackson, aged thirty-one, who has lived in the building for almost three years. I have never seen him talk to at all. That's the weirdest thing about it. McCall was found strangled to death on March 10, 1991, in Spring Hill, about thirty-five miles south of Nashville she was pregnant and last seen with a truck driver, least learned at the time. McCall was born in Cedar Rapids and had family in Iowa, according to a 1991 obituary published in the Newport News Daily Press in Virginia. In Wyoming, a female trucker discovered the body of the first victim in March of '92 near the Bitter Creek truck turnout on Interstate 80 in southwestern Wyoming, according to court records an autopsy determined the woman suffered head trauma consistent with strangulation and her body had likely been in the snow since october of ninety one according to court records a month later wyoming department of transportation workers found the partially mummified body of a pregnant woman in a ditch off interstate ninety near sheridan in northern wyoming an autopsy did not determine the cause of death but found the victim had an injury consistent with suffering a blow to the head Both women were believed to be in their late teens or early 20s, according to court records. Progress is being made to identify the women, Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation Commander Matt Wadlock said. Personal effects were removed from the bodies of all three women, court documents say. A month passed between when McCall's body was found and when she was identified, according to court records. Peter Creek Betty was found frozen, nude, and with only a gold wedding ring on her left ring finger, a gold necklace, and a tattoo of a rose stem on her right breast. I-90 Jane Doe was found partially clothed, without any other identifying features, court documents said. Law enforcement often uses cell phone records to identify victims today, Waldlock said. In 1991, identifying victims and suspects was much harder, he said. Obviously, these happened over 20 years ago, Waldlock said. Plus, science wasn't what it is today. McCall, the Tennessee victim, was described by her mother, Marcia Lyle, as free-spirited and transient, often hitchhiking through Virginia and Tennessee, according to the Daily Press. Lyle, in 1991, told the newspaper her child's killer should be executed by the state. Capital punishment is legal in Tennessee. I give her birth and air, and he takes the air out of her, Lyle said, in April of 91. That's what makes me mad. He's still breathing. Tennessee reopened the McCall case in April of 2019, and, using DNA recovered from the crime scene, authorities created a DNA profile of the suspect. When put into a national database, the DNA came back as a match for a suspect in the two unsolved homicides in Wyoming. Investigators zeroed in on Baldwin after finding DNA in commercial genealogy databases of someone related to the suspect's profile, court documents show. A list of people that were possibly related to the suspect was obtained from these publicly accessible DNA databases, court records say. Investigative genetic genealogy was conducted which provided investigative leads, which indicated that Clark Perry Baldwin was the possible suspect. Last month in Waterloo, the FBI secretly collected DNA from Baldwin's trash and the Walmart shopping cart he had used, and it matched the profile. The same DNA that we had at our three murder scenes was on those items that Mr. Baldwin had touched, Cooper said Wednesday. That's what got us to Iowa, and today was the day that we knocked on his door. As of Thursday, Baldwin was still being held at the Black Hawk County Jail pending extradition proceedings to Tennessee. After the proceedings in his Tennessee case end, Baldwin will be extradited to Wyoming, Waldlock said. Could Baldwin be connected to other homicides? Authorities think so. Waldock said Thursday that investigators were hopeful to solve other cases with Baldwin's arrest. I don't know what the legal definition of a serial killer is, but we feel strongly he's responsible for multiple deaths, Waldlock said. Obviously other cases are still under investigation. One case of interest is the 1992 death of Tammy Joe Zewicki, aged 21, an Iowa college student who was last seen after her car broke down on an Illinois highway. A white man who was driving a semi-trailer was seen near her vehicle. Zwicky's body was found in rural Missouri, stabbed to death. Another is the 1992 killing of Rhonda Knutson, age 22, a truck stop convenience store clerk in northern Iowa who was bludgeoned to death during an overnight shift. Investigators have released sketches of two men who were in the store, including one trucker. Baldwin lived in nearby Nashville then. Baldwin's name also surfaced during a 1992 homicide investigation in Iowa ex wife told police that Baldwin once bragged about killing a girl out west by strangulation and throwing her out of his truck, court documents say. I'm sure he thought it had been forgotten about, Cooper said. He certainly hoped it had. Detectives with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation are looking at any connections that Baldwin may have to cold cases from that era, Special Agent Mike Krepfell told the Associated Press. Other agencies were scrutinizing Baldwin given that he traveled the country, Grepfeld said. Obviously, there are several cases that need to be followed up on. Lyle, now 79 years old, was aware that police were once again looking into her daughter's case until a few weeks ago, Cooper said. We didn't want to give her hope if there wasn't anything to be hopeful about, he said. When notified that police were nearing an arrest, Lyle broke down on the phone, Cooper said. She thought she would go to her grave never knowing who killed her daughter and grandchild, he said. Waldlock hopes to bring some closure to families of the Wyoming victims. That's obviously one of the main goals, Waldlock said. Somewhere out there, there is a family member that is missing a family member, and we went to great lengths to identify all the women. Kim Norvell writes, Iowa Retailers Ready, Open for Business Signs. Amy Hasabrock woke up at 2 a.m. Thursday to dozens of text messages from friends and customers excited that she can reopen her East Village Boutique under new guidance from Iowa's governor. She plans to open Amy at 426 East Locust Street in Des Moines to customers Friday, but she's hesitant to say it's a cause for celebration. Hasabrock knows that her regulars, who have been ordering online and picking up their new outfits and accessories curbside, are eager to come shop in person again. But she understands others may be hesitant, and that some of her business neighbors may decide not to open. It's the first time for everybody, Hazelbrock said. No one knows the answers, we're just going to be delicate. Effective Friday, Governor Kim Reynolds is easing coronavirus-related business restrictions in Metro Des Moines Polk and Dallas counties and 20 other counties where cases of COVID-19 have been steadily increasing. The order allows retail stores and malls to reopen with certain limitations including operating at 50 percent capacity and adhering to social distancing and sanitation guidelines. Fitness centers can open by appointment only and may admit just one person at a time. The Republican Governor's new order expands on guidance issued last week that allowed some businesses to open in 77 counties where cases of the novel coronavirus were minimal or declining. As of Thursday, 11,059 Iowans had tested positive for COVID-19, the respiratory illness caused by the coronavirus, according to the Iowa Department of Public Health. Eighty-nine percent of all cases are in 22 counties where businesses are reopening Friday. Reynolds attributed the rise in cases to increasing testing statewide and to hot spots in counties where there are outbreaks. She said it should be up to business owners whether they open their doors and up to Iowans whether they want to patronize them. Iowans will make the decisions whether they want to go to the facility or not. But we've done it on a very limited basis, and you know, people are going to go to the grocery store. This was a fairness issue, and really opening it up for retail statewide, she said at her daily news conference Thursday. The easing of restrictions comes a week before Reynolds' original order was set to expire, surprising some business owners and leading to last-minute reopening plans. Area malls were slow to announce their plans for reopening as managers were unsure which stores would be back in business, and small businesses reported needing more time to make a decision. I wasn't prepared for this to come out yet, said Christy Anderson, owner of Azalea Lane Boutique in Adele. I was definitely preparing for May 15th to come up with a decision. Even then, Anderson figured store closures would extend past the original date, given the number of cases in Dallas County where her store is. Anderson has been offering in-person shopping by appointment and plans to continue doing that this weekend. She said she will decide Monday whether to fully reopen her store. The twenty other counties where restrictions will be lifted are Allamakee, Benton, Blackhawk, Bremer, Des Moines, Dubuque, Fayette, Henry, Iowa, Jasper, Johnson, Lynn, Louisa, Marshall, Muscatine, Powashek, Scott, Tama, Washington, and Woodbury. Now that two months have passed since the coronavirus was first detected in Iowa, Reynolds said she is shifting her focus from keeping COVID-19 from overwhelming hospitals to managing and containing virus activity as we begin to open back up. Iowa can safely reopen retail establishments statewide, Reynolds said, because 79 percent of the state's ICU beds and 74 percent of its ventilators are available, meaning hospitals could handle a surge. Iowa's reopenings come as signs of economic strain are showing, including the first pandemic era bankruptcy filing by a major department store chain, Newman Marcus, on Thursday. Meanwhile, another 24,693 unemployment claims have been filed by Iowans, for a total of 285,422 claims since restrictions were put in place on businesses in mid March, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. In Iowa, the retail sector accounts for more jobs than any other industry, including agriculture, according to the National Retail Federation. I think the essential retail folks, like grocery stores that have been open, have done a very good job of dealing with compliance issues and being safe, and I think this is an opportunity to slowly start bringing the economy back, said Jim Henter, president of the Iowa Retail Federation. But, he said, the governor's orders does not mean Iowa's retail businesses will be back to normal right away. Some that didn't stay open to offer curbside or delivery need to restock their shelves. Others need to acquire more protective equipment, and most need to figure out how to bring their employees back. Many retailers told the Register they were caught off guard by the governor's announcement. Non-essential stores have been closed since March 26 under a coronavirus emergency declaration from Reynolds. After being closed for almost seven weeks, one day is not enough notice for anybody to be ready to be open," said Don Short, owner of West End Architectural Salvage in downtown Des Moines. I don't feel that we need to just open up, just because we were told we can. Around the metro, Merle Hay Mall, Valley West Mall, the outlets of Des Moines, and Jordan Creek Town Center said they will open their doors Friday, but it's up to owners of stores within the malls whether they will begin welcoming customers. Von Maher, one of Valley West's anchors, will reopen with reduced hours, the department store announced Thursday morning. Tricia Barton, marketing director for the mall, said J.C. Penney, another anchor, would not reopen yet due to delays in getting protective gear for employees. A lot of our stores are kind of scrambling right now to get their stores back into shape and get stock on the shelves and things like that, Barton said. Under the governor's order, stores can operate at 50% capacity based on the maximum number of people allowed under the fire code. They must adopt stricter sanitation measures and ensure their customers can stay at least six feet apart. At malls, common spaces such as play areas and food courts must remain closed. While the governor's announcement was kind of shocking to Cindy Lane, owner of Cindy's Boutique in Valley Junction, she said she's ready to open her doors and start seeing customers face to face again and hopes other businesses will follow suit. About one-third of businesses in the district will open at fifty percent capacity Friday, according to the Historic Valley Junction Foundation. Heck yeah, we are ready, said Lane, who plans to clean dressing rooms between customers, steam clean any clothing that's tried on, and give away the pens customers use to sign receipts. It's a huge relief. It feels like we can finally get back to a little normal. Others felt it was still unsafe to open their doors. Jan Westmiller, owner of Prairie Lights bookstore in Iowa City, the state's early epicenter of COVID-19 infections, said she will not reopen until cases have declined for two weeks. For now, the business will continue operating with curbside pickup while hosting events via Zoom and Instagram. We don't want to make things worse right now, Westmiller said. The governor's order also allows fitness centers in the 22 previously restricted counties to open by appointment only. Metro Des Moines Fitness Center said the one-person-at-a-time rule would be difficult to meet, and they would opt instead to wait until more patrons can be allowed in. Neither the YMC of Greater Des Moines nor Power Life Yoga will reopen Friday. The garage, the home of CrossFit 8035, will open to personal training clients next week. But that's only a small part of the business, owner Abby Reland said. She called Reynolds' order a little frustrating. The gym has more than 200 members, and its main selling point is community, large groups, loud music, and barbells. To get on a path to normalcy, Reland said she'll need to be able to have small groups of 10 or so people safely back in the gym. Also in Reynolds' order, dental services can resume. Campgrounds, drive-in theaters, and tanning facilities can reopen statewide if they meet certain requirements. Businesses such as hair salons and barbershops remain closed statewide. And while restaurants in 77 counties have reopened with limitations, the current carry-out and delivery-only restrictions apply in the 22 counties where retail orders lift Friday. Barbara Rodriguez from the Register writes, Some Iowa test results potentially damaged. Some coronavirus test samples collected under the Test Iowa program cannot be processed because they were potentially damaged, resulting in incomplete results. Pat Garrett, a spokesman for Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, said Thursday that a very small percentage of people were affected. Neither he nor officials with the Iowa Department of Public Health provided more specific information. Some Iowans told the Des Moines Register they have been waiting nearly two weeks for coronavirus test results from Reynolds' $26 million test Iowa program. The governor acknowledged a backlog in processing results earlier this week, but said that that had been addressed. I think we're caught up, Reynolds said Thursday when asked about outstanding test results, but if you haven't received yours for some reason, just call the office and we can help facilitate that. About two hours later, Garrett acknowledged that some people won't get results telling them whether they tested positive for the coronavirus because their samples were potentially damaged. Garrett did not explain what led some samples to be potentially damaged, but he did describe it as common in coronavirus testing. A very small percentage of individuals are going to receive a direct notice that their test sample is potentially damaged, he said in a statement. We will notify those individuals and they will be offered the opportunity to retest at their convenience at any site that's open at any time. These situations are not unique to Test Iowa, and it's common among all testing for COVID-19. Emily Bedner, a nurse in the Des Moines area, was among those Iowans who was tested for the coronavirus at a Test Iowa site on April 25th. She showed documentation to the register that showed her confirmed test date, as well as subsequent emails from Test Iowa organizers. On Thursday, nearly two weeks later, she was still waiting for her results. I'm just frustrated that I feel like I went through this process thinking I could help to be part of the solution for the state, and I've got zero answers, she said. Reynolds first acknowledged a backlog in processing test Iowa results last week, shortly after the Register reported that some health care workers had not received their results. For Iowans who are still waiting for the results, we're sorry for the delay, she said at the time. Reynolds said that Iowans would get their pending results by the end of last weekend. Later, Reynolds said the backlog would be addressed by the end of Monday. The State Hygienic Laboratory at the University of Iowa, the state facility conducting most coronavirus testing in Iowa, has been housing the test Iowa laboratory operations. Stephen Prater-Dorelli, a spokesman for the facility, also said the backlog had been addressed. SHL caught up on its test Iowa backlog Tuesday. Pratadelli wrote in an email. Praterelli directed additional questions to the governor's office. Among those waiting for their results is Megha Van Halen, a dental hygienist who lives in Pleasant Hill, and was tested at the first Test Iowa Des Moines site on April 25th. As of Thursday, she was still waiting for results. On Thursday, Van Halen said she is mostly disappointed that Test Iowa organizers have not contacted her. Other Iowans who were tested through the Test Iowa program have received results that raised questions. Sally Knox, a registered nurse who works in Des Moines, shared documentation that shows she was tested on April 29th. On Monday, she got her results as inconclusive. Knox said she then received an email that instructed her to treat her results as if she has the coronavirus. She was told her sample would get retested or she would be prompted to get another test. Days later, she hasn't received additional information. It sounds good when they're talking about it, Knox said, but either Reynolds is not getting a true picture of what's going on, or they're not letting on what the true picture is, because I did everything I was supposed to do. Reynolds said at her Thursday press conference that Iowans can be proud of how the state is responding to the coronavirus pandemic, in part because of the state's testing. State officials say more than 66,000 individuals have been tested for the coronavirus in Iowa, though it's unclear how many are tied to test Iowa sites. Statewide, 11,059 people have the virus, according to testing, and 231 have died from COVID-19, the state reported Thursday. Van Halen said she's not sure if she will take up the offer to get retested at a test Iowa location. I'm going to call my doctor, and I'm going to go that route where my information is safe and protected, she said. And the final front-page story, written by Tyler Jett, says some Iowans are waiting weeks for jobless benefits. Kevin Russo bent over the linoleum floor shuffling through tax papers. Russo, a travel writer and events marketer, received word the morning of April 7th that Iowa Workforce Development had begun accepting proof-of-income documents from independent contractors applying for unemployment. He needed to submit them to the agency to complete his application. But Russo, age 37, had run into a problem. The agency allows workers to upload only three documents. Because he works booths at trade shows across the country for several companies, Russo said he needed to submit 25 different Internal Revenue Service 1099 forms to prove how much money he usually makes. On the floor of his parents' kitchen on the south side of Des Moines, Russo pushed and rotated the papers, fitting them together like a jigsaw puzzle, until they could cram all the information into three cell phone photos. He uploaded them to the agency website, and a workforce development employee confirmed the agency had received his documents. Russo is among several workers who told the Des Moines Register this week that more than a month after they applied they still have not received unemployment benefits. They say the application process is tedious and confusing and that reaching representatives at Workforce Development's long-jammed call centers for guidance can take hours. Some applicants say that even when they got through, they have gotten incorrect information. In Russo's case, he emailed Workforce Development May 1st and again on Tuesday, asking where his application stood about a month after he submitted the tax paperwork. He said he has not received a response. I don't know where I am in the queue, he told the register. There's no way to check any of that. Workforce development has seen a flood of unemployment claims since mid-March, when Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds began to order business shutdowns and restrictions to slow the spread of the coronavirus. The latest report, released Thursday, showed 24,693 first-time claims filed in Iowa in the week that ended last Saturday and 181,358 continuing claims from the past weeks. Economists expect a National Labor Report for April due Friday to show an unemployment rate higher than at any point since the Great Depression. Before the coronavirus shut down, the Iowa record for new claims in a single week had been 14,201 in December of 2000. New claims have far exceeded that figure every week since March sixteenth. Iowa Workforce Development Director Beth Townsend said in an email Thursday that the agency has over 200 individuals handling phone calls. After fielding calls through 4.30 p.m. on weekdays, Townsend said employees answer emails for two hours. They also answer emails during eight-hour shifts on Saturdays. She said the agency does not track callers' wait times. Based on anecdotes she has heard, she said most callers are waiting 15 to 30 minutes before they reach a representative. Although a federal stimulus bill allows Iowa workers to receive unemployment benefits for 39 weeks instead of the usual 26, Townsend said the agency is not yet able to handle those requests. She said, Workforce Development is still administering traditional unemployment claims within 10 days of receiving applications. For those receiving unemployment through a new federal program, such as independent contractors, Townsend said payments begin within 14 days. These claims all require hands-on review and take longer to process, Townsend wrote. Iowa Legal Aid staff attorney Alex Corny said his office has heard from hundreds of workers who have struggled to reach a workforce development representative. The system just is not equipped to deal with anything close to the number of cases that are coming in now, he said. We've seen significant problems. In addition to a lack of answers for some applicants, Corny said workforce development employees have given clients incorrect information when they call for help. He said a representative of the agency told one client she would not qualify for the $600 weekly unemployment boost included in a federal stimulus package because her layoff was not directly tied to the coronavirus pandemic, when in fact there is no such limitation. Automatically generated paperwork from workforce development also has confused applicants. Independent contractors, self-employed workers, and employees without sufficient work histories qualify for benefits under... Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, a federal program created in response to COVID-19. But, as at many agencies around the country, the Iowa Workforce Development's computer system that automatically processes applications was not immediately updated when the federal government expanded benefits. When applications arrived in late March and early April from laid-off workers not covered under the previous rules, it sent letters rejecting them. In the envelopes with the rejection forms, the state included a second note that told workers to ignore the rejection. Cornea said he wished the agency would have just resisted sending the rejection letters out. Even if you can't stop the computer from printing them, human beings are involved in the system, he said. You can step in. I find it hard to believe there is not some kind of solution here, even if it is difficult to deal with the ancient computer systems." Townsend said in her Thursday email that workforce development officials have trained agency representatives on how to answer frequently asked questions, but she expects there have been a few mistakes along the way. She said applicants can find answers to most of their questions on the agency's website. While there are some Iowans who may have grievances, there are literally over 200,000 Iowans who are receiving regular payments, she wrote. It would be nice to see some recognition of their supreme efforts and complete dedication. Kornia said he knows the agency is overwhelmed with calls and emails and that some Workforce Development employees have been helpful and patient during the onslaught. That has not provided much comfort, though, to Anisha Ware, aged 26, who worked as a substitute associate in the Ottumwa Community School District before the schools closed. The agency denied her applications on March seventeenth and again on April twenty seventh, according to Workforce Development letters she shared with the Register. In both letters, the agency said she had earned insufficient wages to qualify for unemployment benefits. But the federal expansion of unemployment covers workers in that situation, where acknowledged it is entirely possible that the state will eventually pay her, she just hasn't received any confirmation. She said she has called workforce development every day since she has applied for unemployment. She rarely gets through to a representative and wait times range from three to four hours. Sometimes an automated message tells her the number is not available and the call sounds like it has been dropped. On its website, Workforce Development says of this situation, this is related to your phone provider and not our agency's call center. Please try your call later or use a different phone number. Ware said she broke up with her children's father three weeks ago, but without unemployment benefits she doesn't have the money to pay for another place to stay. She said he has been kind enough to sleep on the couch or on the floor of their children's room, for now leaving the bed to her. But the situation has been awkward, and she would like to be able to rent an apartment of her own. I'd been planning to leave before the coronavirus, she said, and then this thing happened, and I'm like, great, we can't go nowhere. Scott Van Meter, age 53, who worked as a self-employed maintenance man in Cedar Rapids, said he applied for unemployment three times before the state accepted his claim. He has not yet received any money. Van Meter calls every day at 8 a.m. In the past month, he said, he has gotten through to a representative three times. He has not been told when to expect payment. That's all you get from them. I don't know. We can't tell you. I don't know, he said, and I don't understand that. I would understand it if they told me. You're not getting it. Period. Okay. I understand. I'll stop calling. Or, you'll get it in six months. Okay. I got it. But what am I supposed to do? Chloe Paca, age 24, a bartender in Des Moines, said Workforce Development has sent her letters rejecting two different applications, the first in March and the other in April. When she reached a representative on the phone, she said she was told that her information indicates she qualifies for the benefits, but she doesn't know when they will come. She said she is concerned about her $230 monthly car payment and the $1,000 monthly rent. Denicia Spears, age 34, the former senior food and beverage supervisor at the Renaissance Des Moines Savory Hotel, began receiving payments two weeks ago. But she estimates she has waited on hold for 100 hours over the course of a month as she has tried to get answers from the agency. The state rejected her claim, telling her she had exhausted unemployment benefits the previous year. Spears said she applied for unemployment in the spring of 2019, but that she never actually received benefits because the state rejected her claim then, too. Nevertheless, she applied again in April. Even though she asked the state to deposit her benefit directly into her bank account, she said, the state loaded her money on a debit card and mailed it to her. But the card then went to an address where she lived six years ago. Spears said Workforce Development told her she needed to take up the issue with Bank of America, which administers the debit cards. She was on hold for hours over several days before the bank canceled that card and agreed to mail a new one to her current address. In the end, she received payments retroactive to April 5th, three weeks after she lost her income because of coronavirus. She said she won't fight for anything more. My bills are paid, she said. I'm caught up. I have food in the fridge. I'm not going to dwell on it. But there are people who probably really needed it. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty close to being behind on rent very spare on food in the fridge. You know what I mean? It was very, very close. Dentists plan to reopen with safeguards. Iowa dental offices are allowed to resume cleaning and repairing teeth starting Friday, but it may take longer than usual for patients to get in for routine visits. Governor Kim Reynolds included dental offices in an order on Wednesday allowing several types of businesses to reopen as long as they take precautions against the spread of the coronavirus since late march iowa dentists have been limited to performing emergency procedures including to deal with serious pain des moines dentist zachary curry said he's planning to reopen his ingersoll avenue office on may eighteenth, after he makes sure he has enough protective equipment and has set up procedures to keep his staff and patients safe some dentists feel comfortable opening up sooner some may be comfortable opening up later and that's fine he said thursday Curry is the president-elect of the Iowa Dental Society, and served on a state committee that wrote guidelines for dental offices to use in reopening. The committee included experts from the University of Iowa, state government, and Dental hygienist Association. The rules require dental employees to use extensive protective gear, including face mask, gloves, and eye protection during treatment. Patients must have masks on when they enter the offices, and they must be screened for fever and other possible symptoms of illness, the rules say. Dentists are encouraged to limit procedures, such as drilling, that will cause aerosol or small particles to spray into the air. The nice thing about dentist offices is we have been practicing infection control for years, Curry said. The new guidelines reinforce routine steps. Dentist Ryan Stunts, who practices in the Dubuque County town of Farley, also plans to reopen May 18th. Stunts is the Dental Society's current president and also served on the committee that wrote the reopening guidelines. He said his clinic has seen several emergency cases per week, and the number of those have been increasing as minor dental problems festered. If you don't fix something right away, it just gets worse and worse, he said. Stunt said patients might be unnerved to see dentists and their staff dressed in full protective gear, which will sometimes include large respirators and face shields. We're going to look like the man on the moon, which can be kind of scary to little kids, he said stunts and curry said Dennis. also will take steps to keep patients from getting too close to each other instead of using a waiting room some offices may ask patients to wait outside until it's time to go into the exam room he said dental practices are unlikely to see many patients as they did before the pandemic and they'll have to set priorities on whom to see first they likely will resume checkups and cleanings which have relatively low risk of spreading the virus while also attending to patients with pressing issues that need repair. Curry said dentists know there is no foolproof way to prevent the spread of coronavirus because people can be infectious without showing symptoms. But he said the state's new rules should substantially reduce the risks. Many Iowa dentists donated surplus masks, gowns, and other equipment to local hospitals after being shut down in March. They kept some for their offices and are optimistic they'll soon be able to obtain more, including via federal channels, Curry said. Unlike many physicians' clinics, most dentists' offices remain independent businesses directly responsible for their employees. Currie and Stunts both had to lay off staff members for a few weeks, and they are relieved to call them back to work. Meanwhile, Iowa hospitals and clinics have started resuming elective surgeries and other procedures that were temporarily barred because of the pandemic. The goal of that order was to reserve scarce protective equipment for emergency care, including the treatment of patients with COVID-19, the governor said. Reynolds lifted the ban late last month. Hospital leaders say they're gradually ramping up non-emergency surgeries and treatments. Teresa Brennan, a physician and chief medical officer at the University of Iowa Hospitals in Iowa City, said her facility is focusing first on procedures that will make major improvements to patients' lives. It may not be an emergency, but it can't wait for long, long time, she said. For example, she said, a patient who needs orthopedic surgery to address severe pain or to make them able to return to work would be a higher priority than a surgery that would just simply make a patient more comfortable. Renan added that UI medical teams also might hesitate to do a surgery now if a patient would need to go to a nursing home to recover. The coronavirus has been spreading in many nursing homes this spring, so it might be better to delay such a surgery, she said. Brennan said her hospital supply of masks and other protective equipment has improved somewhat in recent weeks, but future supplies remain uncertain, which affects decisions on which procedures should be done now and which should be delayed. Central Iowa's two dominant hospital systems have also resumed performing some elective procedures. Unity Point Des Moines doctors on Wednesday began doing non-emergency surgeries, including procedures to treat cancer, orthopedic injuries. And gastrointestinal and blood vessel problems. We know that we can't continue to postpone procedures indefinitely for most patients if we want to avoid complications and improve their quality of life, Tom Rooney, a United Point administrator, wrote in a statement. Therefore, we are resuming elective surgeries and procedures based upon our inpatient capacity and by working with providers to determine the scheduling of patients and procedures on a case-by-case basis. Unity Point plans to phase in such procedures until it is about 50% of full capacity. Mulroney said the system will keep at least 30% of inpatient beds and 30% of critical care beds open to ensure it could handle a surge in COVID 19 cases. Mercy One Des Moines area hospitals also resumed some non emergency surgeries this week. Greg Lagan, a MercyOne spokesman, said all patients coming to its facilities must wear masks and be screened for signs of illness. Before undergoing any procedures, they will be tested for the coronavirus. If they come up positive, their procedures will be delayed unless there is a need to have the procedure done immediately, Lagan said. Besides meeting medical needs, non-emergency procedures bring crucial income to hospital systems, whose finances have been pinched during the pandemic. And on the Metro and Iowa page, Iowa K-12 schools receive $71.6 million in coronavirus stimulus funding. Iowa K-12 schools will receive $71.6 million in federal money to cover some of the unexpected costs related to the coronavirus pandemic. Ann Lebo, director of the Iowa Department of Education, made the announcement Tuesday during a press conference with Governor Kim Reynolds. Every one of Iowa's 327 school districts will receive an allocation of these funds to address COVID-19-related needs at their schools, including online learning support, professional development, educational technology, mental health services, and services to support students with disabilities, Lovell said. The money will come from the Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, which included $30.75 billion in K-12 education and higher education. 90% of the $71.6 million will go directly to school districts, which will use a portion of the funds to provide services to non-public schools in their areas. The remaining funds will be used for state-level educational efforts to address urgent issues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Public Schools, the largest district in the state, with more than 32,000 students, will receive $9.4 million. It will distribute roughly $600,000 to private schools located in the district. School districts have until Monday to apply for funding, which will be distributed May 13th, Libel said. Districts have until September 2022 to spend the money. All of Iowa's K-12 school buildings have been closed since mid-March, when Reynolds first recommended the closure. The governor later ordered schools to remain closed through the rest of the academic year. Since then, all of Iowa's 327 public school districts plus 179 non-public school districts have begun offering online or distance learning programs for students. Des Moines Public Schools Superintendent Tom Ahart said the district does not yet have a complete picture on how much the coronavirus shutdown will cost the district. Online connectivity costs and additional device expenses are roughly $2 million, Ehard said in an email. We will have additional expenses in food and nutrition and metro care, some of which, unfortunately, may not be allowable expenses from the CARES Act. Des Moines schools distributed nearly 21,000 laptop computers to students in April and is partnering with Mediacom to provide broadband internet at no charge to an estimated 1,800 student households. It also has distributed out approximately 10,000 breakfasts and 10,000 lunches each week from 50 sites since mid March. Schools have had to take a lot of expanded and unexpected roles, Little said. This first wave of funds is really to support that, and I think there will be continued conversations on whether there's a second wave of funding or how that's impacted by future funding decisions for schools. Reynolds said she hopes to revisit the state budget, including funding for K 12 schools, within the next two weeks. Here's how the money breaks down for Des Moines area schools. Iowa has received the 71.6 million dollars from the CARES Act Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Funds. Approximately 64.4 million will be distributed in direct aid to schools. Following is a breakdown of how much school districts in the Des Moines Metro will receive. School districts will distribute a portion of the funds they receive to private schools in their area. A full list of Iowa school districts is available on the Department of Education website. Adel DeSoto Midburn will receive $80,053. Ankeny, $222,375. dollars and farrar $65,178. Carlisle, $119,521. Dallas Center Grimes, $86,017. Des Moines, $9.4 million. Indianola. 248,102. Johnston, 276,937. North Polk, 40,136. Norwalk, 98,790. Seidel, 157,154. Southeast Polk, 375,651. Urbandale, 224,509. Van Meter, 15,918, Waukee, 201,094, and finally West Des Moines at $700,388. Reynolds boasts of Iowa virus response. Iowans can be proud of how the state is responding to the coronavirus pandemic, Governor Kim Reynolds said at a Thursday news conference. Her statement follows a Wednesday afternoon proclamation further easing restrictions on how some businesses and activities and a trip to the White House where she discussed the state's response and outbreaks at meatpacking plants here. The state avoided having its hospitals overwhelmed and now has ample available beds and equipment, Reynolds said. On Thursday, she boasted of increased testing capacity and downplayed increases in daily positive tests as being a result of increased and targeted testing. Shortly before the news conference, the Iowa Department of Public Health reported another 655 people have tested positive for the virus, bringing the statewide total to 11,059. It also reported another 12 deaths from COVID-19, the disease caused by the new coronavirus, bringing the statewide total to 231. We are leading, and we're leading by example, and we're going to continue to lead, Reynolds said. We've ramped up our testing. We've increased it by 800% since March. We are in a pandemic. We have a rapidly changing environment and we are reacting and being proactive at the same time. In March when the coronavirus entered the community spread phase of Iowa about 300 people per day on average were being tested. In April that increased to about 1,300 per day. So far in May there have been about 2,900 tests administered per day thanks in part to a $26 million no-bid contract with a group of Utah-based companies running a multi-pronged effort dubbed Test Iowa that was recommended by Iowa-born actor Ashton Kutcher. According to a projection from Harvard's Global Health Institute, Iowa should be testing about 10,000 residents per day by May fifteenth and running isolation and contact tracing in order to contain the virus's outbreak. Reynolds said early efforts to mitigate the spread of the virus, including social distancing guidelines and closing schools and some businesses, help keep the state's health care system from being overwhelmed. Iowa hospitals are now in a good position to help those who fall very ill from the virus, with 79% of beds in intensive care units available and 74% of ventilators used to help people who can no longer breathe on their own available for patients, she said. As a result, Reynolds said the state's goals have shifted to managing and containing virus activity as we, be- we begin to open Iowa back up. Just as we can't stop the virus completely, we also can't keep businesses closed and our lives restricted indefinitely, Reynolds said Thursday. Reynolds starting allowing some previously closed businesses in 77 counties to reopen on May 1st, though at half capacity and with social distancing measures in place. Retail establishments were allowed to reopen across the state, while in-person dining at restaurants is still limited to the 77 counties with fewer documented positive COVID-19 cases. The 22 counties still under stricter orders include Pope, Dallas, Blackhawk, Johnson, and Lynn. Reynolds' newest proclamation Wednesday further eased restrictions on some businesses and activities. It included some statewide measures, such as opening campgrounds, and others limited to the initial wave of 77 counties, such as the limited reopening of malls. She praised businesses and churches for being responsible as she phases in reopenings. Churches and businesses really are being very responsible, Reynolds said. They're making their decisions on whether they're ready to open up, if that's the right thing for them to do, and how they're doing it. They're paying a lot of attention and utilizing the Department of Public Health guidance that have been put in place for them to kind of walk through when they're going to think about reopening. And so my hope is, as we continue to watch the trends and monitor the virus activity, that we can continue to open things back up as we move forward. Iowa chiropractor charged with sex abuse faces more charges. More allegations of crimes have been levied against a chiropractor in Des Moines Metro court records show Blake Hannish is facing eight charges after accusers told police he inappropriately touched them in his chiropractic office in Des Moines, according to complaints. Documents state that one count of second sexual abuse, counts of third sexual abuse, two counts of indecent contact child, and three counts of assault intent commit sexual abuse were filed this week against Hannish, who lives in Ankeny. Victims state to police he touched their private areas between 2010 and 2013. Criminal complaints show. Another victim said when she was between 16 and 18, he repeatedly touched inappropriately while working on her roofs. More victims felt uncomfortable by touching that took place at his place of business on Douglas Avenue, with the most recent incident occurring between the beginning of 2018 and near the end of 2019. Lieutenant Brian Kraska, spokesman for the Ankeny Police, said Wednesday the new reports were made after a round of charges were filed against Hannish in April. The Inkeny man was accused of abusing at least six minors last month. His charges were for four counts of second-degree sexual abuse, two counts of assault with intent to commit sexual abuse, two counts of sexual exploitation of a minor, and four counts of possession charges were for second-degree abuse, two counts of assault with intent to abuse, exploitation of a minor, and counts of possession substance. Warrants were issued for Hanish's business in Des Moines. Kraska urged people to report incidents to Des Moines or Ankeny Police if something makes them uncomfortable. Hannish was jailed and a bond was set, but was released with the condition that he be supervised. Ankeny Police began investigating Hannish after the Department of Human Services notified them on March 30th that Hannish had possibly sexually abused three minors, Kraska said. Hannish is next due in court on June 1st. And also from Ankeny, Ankeny Summerfest postponed. Ankeny Summerfest, the annual four-day festival hosted by the city, has been postponed until 2021 because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Ankeny Summerfest leadership announced their decision in a news release Thursday. The celebration was originally planned for July 9th through the 12th, with live music, carnival rides, and parades scheduled. Having spent the past year preparing for Summerfest with our volunteers, vendors, and community partners, It was an extremely difficult decision to not be able to host Ankeny Summerfest this July, the release said. The event has been rescheduled for July 8th through the 11th in 2021. It is one of many gatherings canceled in Iowa because of concerns of the spread of the novel coronavirus, which has killed over 200 people in the state. Festival organizers and others in Ankeny are looking into options to showcase events virtually this summer, according to the release. Hay fire destroys flatbed trailer on Iowa Highway. It only took minutes for a fire to destroy a flatbed trailer carrying hay along an Iowa Highway earlier this week. Servo hay bales caught fire as a tractor trailer passed a Monroe County Sheriff's Deputy at about 11.15 a.m. Monday on U.S. Highway 34 just east of Elbia. Wet hay can spontaneously combust, but Monroe County Sheriff's Deputy Todd Stewart ruled that out as a reason for the fire. That was all barn-kept hay, Stewart said. I think it was one of the major reasons it went up so fast. The driver was not heard, and the truck holding the hay was separated in time to prevent it from catching fire, Stewart said. The truck was driving from Eddyville to a farm in Monroe County. Firefighters from the Elvia Fire Department responded, and the Iowa Department of Transportation extinguished the fire. Also, man released from jail because of coronavirus arrested again. A man charged with stealing thousands of dollars in jewelry, cars, and credit cards was arrested again after being released in March because of concerns related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mason Bernie Galvin, age 21, allegedly stole a 14-carat yellow bracelet, a 22-inch gold Mariner chain, and a 20-inch 10-carat yellow gold curb chain from K Jewelers in Valley West Mall in West Des Moines, February 9th, according to court records. The stolen property had a value of $11,298.98, according to court records. On March 4th, Galvin allegedly ran off with a rope chain worth $1,600 at a West Des Moines piercing business while trying to chain on, according to court records. At 3.30 a.m. on March 6th, Galvin allegedly broke a window with a brick at Morsey Fine Jewelry in West Des Moines and stole multiple high-end Abaku brand watches, according to court documents. Two days later, Galvin allegedly tried to rob the store again around 11 p.m., but the owner was in the store and scared him off, according to court records. On March 7th, Galvin allegedly stole a 2005 Buick Lasabre from a parking lot in Des Moines, according to court records. He was arrested around midnight on March 9th after allegedly parking the Lasabre in an alley behind his home. On March 26th, Polk County Attorney John Sarcone asked a judge for Galvin to be released because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Elvin was released from jail March twenty seventh. Since March fourteenth, the Iowa Supreme Court suspended most court hearings because of the outbreak. The Supreme Court also encouraged police and prosecutors to release inmates from jail or refrain from arresting them to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in jails and prisons. Several jails around the state have released prisoners to prevent the spread of COVID-19 from getting worse. As of Tuesday, eight inmates at the Polk County Jail had confirmed cases of COVID-19, according to Polk County Sheriff's Lieutenant Jeff Rollman. Foreign inmates currently in custody have COVID-19 at the Polk County Jail, Rollman said. The Polk County Jail will not prevent anyone who tests positive for COVID-19 from being released because they postponed. Their sentences and or they are transferred, Rollman said. On April 14th, Galvin allegedly broke into a car and stole a cell phone worth $999.99 and a gift card and allegedly made Three hundred and thirty-seven dollars 41 worth of purchases with the gift card, according to court records. Galvin also is accused of stealing credit cards from the car and purchasing $2,562.55 worth of goods from Walmart and Target and using the cards to withdraw cash from an ATM. On Tuesday afternoon, Galvin was arrested again, according to booking records. In all, he faces one count of first-degree theft, two counts of second-degree theft, one count of third-degree theft, possession of burglary tools, two counts of third-degree burglary, attempted a second-degree burglary, two probation violations, and one count each of possession of meth and marijuana. I was fortunate ninety-five-year-old World War II vet survives coronavirus. That hat on Bill Kelly's head reads The Greatest Generation, but those words might as well be written across the ninety-five-year-old McKinneyville man's face. The troops included four generations of family members, Kelly's two great-grandsons in particular. He said one of them would occasionally break the quarantine rules. My little five-year-old, once in a while he'd come in here and sneak me some candy and sneak back out again, shared Kelly with a chuckle. No one was quite sure how Kelly contracted COVID-19, and no one else in his home got sick. While recovering, Kelly watched as various manufacturing companies shifted gears to make masks and protective gear for doctors and noticed others doing what could help with the common cause. He remembered back 75 years ago to World War II, the last time the nation rallied that way. They used to have the drives for metal. We'd bring metal to school. They needed rubber, so they brought tires, anything to help the war effort. And while our collective isolation seemed so indefinite, Kelly had this message from the greatest generation. We are very fortunate to live in the United States, and we got everything going for us, said Kelly. Just do what's right, and do what we're told, and everything will be okay. And that does it for the first hour of the Register on Iris, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Disabled. Up next, we'll give a shout-out to all our listeners who are celebrating a birthday today. I'm your reader, Dennis May. Thanks for listening.